is Communication Mixdown. Hello, I'm John Langer. As a result of the COVID virus crisis, mask wearing has become a part of everyday attire. Not everyone's happy about it, of course. A columnist writing in one of the local dailies was lamenting that when she went out and about wearing a face covering, people had trouble recognizing her. Her very identity, a sense of who she was, she claimed, was at stake. Face coverings, even the most mundane ones used for protection, are a form of communication, giving off signals about yourself, your social position, and about how you're engaging with the world around you. But wearing a mask in public is not new. The practice has a long historical trajectory. I talked to fashion historian at Edith Cowan University, Lydia Edwards, about some of the notable trends in face coverings over the centuries. Thank you very much for being on Communication Mixdown. Oh, my pleasure. And as a fashion historian, you've been doing a bit of investigating of face mask wearing in Western culture, and I'd like to explore what you've been finding out. So take us back to mask wearing in the 16th century and talk about the vizard, what it was and what it was used for. Yeah, the vizard is one of the most bizarre um, accessories I've ever come across in fashion history. Uh, it was worn mainly by, well, pretty much exclusively by elite women. So people who were very wealthy, who could afford to go on long trips and on kind of leisure trips. And it was a, a black velvet mask that would covered almost the entire face with a couple of little holes for the eyes and the nose, but nothing for the mouth. It was held flush to the face by um, the wearer gripping a button between her teeth. So, of course, impeded any kind of conversation. But the idea was that it would keep your skin um, sort of, you know, blemish free and um, pearly white and all those things that were prized during the 16th century for European women. And you, you said it was compared to something called a scold's bridle. Tell, tell me about that. Yeah, I, I don't think it would have been compared as such at the time, but certainly to our contemporary um, imaginations, it's very similar that the scold's bridle was a horrible sort of torture device really that was used on women who were seen to be either um, dangerous gossips or witches. So it was a, a sort of metal implement that was put over the head and it often had a, a tongue depressor. So whenever you, if you try to speak, it would damage your mouth basically. Um, and although the vizard didn't damage the wearer, it, it certainly stopped her speaking. So there, there have been comparisons made to this because certainly for, you know, with feminist interpretations that the vizard is a, a very difficult accessory because it stops someone, you know, talking, communicating all for the sake of, of fashion. Now, in the 17th century, let's just jump ahead a, a century. And in the 17th century, you describe masks as being an item of allure and mystery. Tell me about the domino mask and its contemporary legacy, because I, I know what the domino mask is, but I'd never heard of it co actually called the domino mask. Yeah, I mean, because I think nowadays, if we see one of these masks, we think of, you know, superheroes and, and that kind of thing, you know, from all the Marvel films, because it's something, it's a design that, that was taken up by um, 
by that kind of side of culture in the 20th century. But yeah, it's, it's sort of a, a strip of fabric um, that covered only the top of the face, so the eyes, um, sometimes the nose, but normally not. And it was originally part of a broader costume associated with the Venice Carnival. So an event going back, you know, right beyond the Renaissance era. And by the 17th century, it was worn around the eyes by some women in some parts of Europe. It was again a sort of fashionable um, protection from the elements, but it was also, yeah, it was a way of creating a bit of intrigue, a bit of disguise. Um, it was a time where it was very difficult to mix with people in a different social class. So if you were masked, that would give you a bit of anonymity and pe people quite like that. Um, but it could also sometimes be a name for a short veil. So sometimes in the 17th century, you see the word um, domino mask, but actually they're just referring to a veil that stops around nose length um, on, a, on a woman. And it also is actually used as um, sometimes a word for a cloak or for a broader kind of disguise. So it's the word originally associated with um, the Commedia dell'arte theatre group in Italy that they, they used, had a character called Domino who wore this mask, but it, it's come to be associated with many different areas of fashion you know throughout the centuries mm. and we also have um, people like the Scarlet Pimpernel in the 18th century who were never descri was described wearing a mask but whenever he's been portrayed um, in film and on, on stage he's been shown wearing something very similar to this. I have to tell you a little anecdote because I just watched a film a 19 early 1950s film called The Mask of the Avenger and uh, mm. the, the person that was in who was the Avenger indeed was wearing what what is now I know as a domino mask. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we start to see them, don't we, from about, I think, I guess probably the 2030s onwards when superhero comics, you know, became popular. Um, and I guess it's because it, it's, a, it's a method of disguise, but it's quite unthreatening. It doesn't cover the whole face. You can still see someone's mouth when they're talking, you know, so it's, it's not as, as kind of off-putting as some would see as, as having your whole face covered. It allows, the, you know, you to kind of still have some communication with, with the person. Now let's travel. You did mention Venice. Let's go to Venice in the 18th century. And it was a place where there was a, lo a long history of mask wearing, as you've just mentioned, and theatricality. And masks mm. in Venice had some interesting social functions. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, they I mean, it, obviously, it was originally connected to the carnival. But even before then, and, and even when the carnivals were carrying on each year, masks were worn um, by people of certain social classes when they went to the theatre. But they were also worn and not worn by prostitutes. There would be various sort of five year periods in Venice where there'd be rules that would go out saying prostitutes have to wear them or prostitutes don't have to wear them. And it was a way, I guess, of pinpointing who who was a prostitute in society and who wasn't. So maybe a kind of shaming or a kind of um, making people aware um, that people were amongst them who did this kind of work. Uh, so it, it's quite complicated, but there were also reports of people who would go to Venice from other parts of Europe expecting to see everyone in masks because that's the way it was discussed. You know, it was talked about in the popular press as being a, a sort of city of masks, but they'd turn up and it would actually be quite innocent. You know, people will be wearing masks for... Um, you know, pr protection for sort of um, health reasons. They'd be wearing them as a way, as I mentioned before, of mixing with the lower classes. But there were certainly people who um, enjoyed the anonymity it was given and, and would go around town almost pretending to be someone else and kind of seeing what you can get away with. And that, again, is part of that kind of carnival um, charade that went on in Venice anyway. So it was something that was carried into daily life away from the carnival times of year as well. 
You've also mentioned uh, in the, the article that I read, and uh, we'll put this up on our uh, our website, but you said that the masks also encourage safe contact between the sexes. Uh, a kind of social distancing was, was, was in place as well. Yeah, um, ironically enough, thinking of what's going on in the world today, yes, there was a type of social distancing um, because it was very difficult for you know young men and women to to meet socially without having a chaperone or having anyone else around to kind of keep an eye on them. It was a way that you could um, chat to somebody more openly because you were yourself you know disguised, and mask balls became a way of being able to do this in public respectively. So you would turn up with um, a mask, usually covering half your face, but sometimes the whole face. And you could keep your distance, but you could still talk to somebody in a freer way than you normally would be able to, because they might not be sure exactly who you were, what your social background was, um, what who your family was. So it encouraged a kind of communication that wasn't present in social functions in, in other parts of Europe at the time. If we're moving chronologically, by the end of the 19th century, mask wearing was mostly becoming unfashionable, as you've pointed out, as you've discovered, And but there were exceptions. Tell us about this contraption called the toilet mask. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is a very interesting discovery. Um, I hadn't heard about it really until I started doing the research for for the article you mentioned. Um, It was, I guess, a kind of Victorian, very clunky equivalent of a face mask, which, you know, people wear today, that very slim bit of of cloth, um, you know, not cloth, I'm not sure what they're made of these days, but you put over your face for 15 seconds and it's meant to remove, you know, blackheads and all this kind of thing. It was basically a very early version of that, but you had to wear it all night. Um, It would be strapped around your head with rubber straps. Um, So quite heavy, quite uncomfortable, I would have thought. Um, And you you wore it all night. And when you woke up in the morning, it was supposed to have removed um, blemishes, uh, spots, um, any tan that you might have picked up um, during the day. So again, it was really playing into those ideas of having a very sort of bright skin as being the ultimate you know, prized accessory for women. Um, yeah, and it was something that I think it was patented around the 1770s or 80s by somebody called Madame Roland. And there was a lot about it in the press, um, a lot of uh, articles saying how fabulous it was and, and promising that it would do all these things. Of course, we don't know how successful it was. It's likely that, um, you know, it wasn't <laughs> as magical as everyone was saying because it didn't stand the test of time. It didn't last for that long. But um, it was certainly something that people were very intrigued about when it came out. It was the first thing of its kind, really, that was a sort of mask that you would wear at home in your own time in order to beautify yourself, you know, for the following day. Mm, and I, heard, I, I saw the, uh, the little advertisement for it. It was uh, dubbed a, a face glove. Yeah, yes, um, which is a slightly, I think, um, a slightly unnerving description for us today. It's not something we would see. It kind of implies being swamped by something, doesn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, it was known as a face glove. The word mask does appear in some of the advertisements, but generally that's what that's been used to describe it since then yeah it was it was billed as a face glove that's fashion historian lydia edwards talking about mask wearing trends in western culture and this is communication mixdown so here you are too foreign for home too foreign for here never enough for both ijuoma umebinyo Desperate Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? 
Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. Now, the, let's go on to the early 20th century and the introduction of the motor car. And uh, apparently this turned out a new range of face coverings. Tell us about some of those, and particularly the one called the window hood. Oh, yeah, the, the window hood's fantastic. Uh, I've seen a couple of advertisements for this, and it was a way of allowing women to um, be protected when they were in a motor car, but also still be fashionable, because most women, when they were in motor cars, they had goggles, but they'd also have um, the, the already fashionable veil kind of swept around a large hat. But the veil wasn't particularly helpful in actually keeping the fumes away, because if you're in one of these early cars, you know, you'd be clogged up very quickly um, with the fumes and the dust from the road. And men had goggles that covered their nose and their eyes and they had peak caps and scarves around their, their mouths. But, yeah, women needed something else. So uh, an invention came out known as the window hood, which was a more sort of structured, thicker veil that hung down from the brim of the hat and could be kind of tucked into the clothing. So it would go all the way under your chin. And then there was a, a sort of strip of um, a fabric that could just about be seen through, but it would cover your eyes. So there was a very specific little window um, at the top, um, just over the, the top half of the face. And this was yeah, something that would only be worn in the car. So it wasn't a veil that could be worn in other parts of life. Uh, so it was a very specific motoring um, accessory. Not sure how widely it was taken up, but it was certainly reported quite a lot in the press. There were lots of images of it. So it was certainly something that caught people's imagination. We're, we've been talking a lot about women in, that, in the early part of the 20th century with the motor car. Were there things that men were wearing as well as, as, as sort of masks or face coverings? Not as much. Uh, no. I mean, certainly, of course, in when we have mask balls and that mask balls carried on into the 19th, early 20th centuries, both men and women um, went to town with various mask designs. Uh, but no, for men, really, the references I've seen have nearly always been to do with either health, um, you know, motoring, uh, anything. Of course, if you were working in a job where you needed face protection, there'd be various things available. But no, in, not in terms of fashion, there hasn't been as much, certainly not since, um, you know, the 16th, 17th century onwards. Let's backtrack to the end of the 19th century. Something else that you noticed was the veiling of, of women at weddings. That You said that yeah. that was something that hadn't been happening before, but it, it, it was taken up very strongly at, by the end of the 19th century. It was, and it was something, I mean, Queen Victoria was the person who really promoted, you know, the wearing of white and the wearing of a veil. And all the things that we associate with brides today are actually relatively recent and she got married in the 1840s and, and wore a veil um, and quite a few people copied her but yeah it wasn't until the end of the 19th century that it became really fashionable and people linked it to sort of ancient ideas to do with fertility and modesty and paganism and things but it's I think it's actually something that's much more contemporary than that I don't think it actually has links going back that far at all because it wasn't worn you know for so many centuries before then it is a purely fashionable thing um, that people have attached their own sort of uh, morality codes to um, and of course the veil for, for weddings is very different it's only worn down the face when the bride is in the church and then is you know lifted up once she's married um, and then would often be taken off later for the reception so it's a very symbolic thing um, but I think it's interesting because it is so contemporary but we have all these much more ancient associations with it but we, we can thank Queen Victoria really for the introduction of that. 
Now, take us to the middle of the swinging 1960s where masks make another appearance. Yeah, this was uh, the space age and um, designers like Andre Correge, who uh, was very, very keen, um, interested in what was going on in NASA in the scientific um, area of, uh, of the world. And he was influenced to create these visors um, and the ones that were actually taken up and worn by a larger number of people were the visors that just covered the eyes. But he did create helmets that went over the entire face with a, a big sort of circle of perspex in front. Um, there were ones that looked very much like astronauts helmets. And these were kind of seen on the catwalks and they were shown in fashion magazines. Of course, they weren't practical, so they weren't taken up largely, but they became a really big part of the fashion landscape of the mid 1960s. And they were very, very influential um, and in terms of the whole, you know, landing on the moon, the whole space race that was going on. So I think they've become quite iconic, um, although, as I say, it's important to remember they weren't worn certainly by everyone. But you can see many, many pictures of the different crazy designs that came out. And as I say, they're very indicative of, of the era. And I, I did see, a, a, well, I saw an image in, in your article of, of these, uh, this particular fashion. And actually what it reminded me of was the, the Ned Kelly helmet uh, yes. the, 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 the thing comes down over the head and there's a sort of a gap for the eyes. And that was, that yeah. was very interesting. It's true. And I mean, you know, we can, I don't talk about armor in the, in the article. Cause I was, I was thinking more of cultural rather than um, sort of, you know, practical um, uses. And of course, armor was, was used for defense, but yeah, but armor's a, a really, really good comparison because it, it was modeled on contemporary dress quite a lot. And it was something that, you know, is something that's been romanticized and that we still continue to talk about and get inspiration from. So I think that's, that's a really interesting comparison. So let's let's go up to the present. Let's bring bring us right up to the present. And you've said to just to, to quote you, masks have emerged as unlikely fashion heroes as the COVID pandemic developed. Briefly, mm. tell me about what you've been discovering around this. Well, I've been discovering that people, particularly if we look back to the the last worldwide pandemic a hundred years ago, that we haven't really changed much in terms of how we use our masks and how we want our masks to appear. There's still a really big emphasis on making, trying to inject some fun into a very, you know, devastating situation and creating masks with patterns, masks that are kind of darkly um, comedic as well. There's one in, in the article with a picture of a skull and crossbones that a man's wearing in about 1919. Um, so people want, knew they had to incorporate this into their daily wear and they wanted it to be something that would speak to their personality, something that would lighten the mood a little bit. But at the moment as well, I think what I've been most struck by has been the masks that have been fashioned by people that don't have resources to buy them or to, or to order expensive designer ones or to make their own. So there was an image I saw of somebody um, in, I think it was somewhere in Indonesia, who was using a, a cut-up water bottle, massive water bottle as, as a mask over his face, like a visor. Somebody else that had made, made a mask out of cabbage leaves. So people are being hugely innovative um, and really, you know, catching the capturing the attention of people around the world, the different ways that masks can be can be used and play, played with in a safe way as well as a, an aesthetic one. Now, tell me something. Are you are you have you been wearing a mask and what, <laughs> and what kind of a mask have you been wearing? Well, I'm very luckily. I mean, luckily for me, because we're over in Western Australia where we you know, we haven't been affected in the same way. Um, I haven't really had much opportunity to um, 
play around with them luckily for me mm. the only one i've worn a couple of times out has been a very plain bog standard one um just a blue very medical looking one so not interesting at all but you know if we if we get into the situation again where unfortunately we have to start thinking about masks i'm definitely going to be looking into what i can get and trying to trying to reference a bit of fashion history in in the one that i choose i'd I'd actually like to talk a little bit more about this if if we've got time Uh, is is there anything else that you'd like to add it to our to our discussion i think um yeah, I think I really like the fact that we've been able to focus on masks more broadly because so often, yeah, during the pandemic, people have been asking me about, um, you know, the plague doctor mask, which of course is the famous one from the bubonic plague outbreaks where, you know, you've got this um, mask with the really long beaked nose. And of course, that's really important in terms of the history of it, but it doesn't represent what most people have worn, you know, during these pandemics. And it's kind of a a rather freaky, scary kind of image that, that's gone down, you know, it's become iconic in our, in our sort of cultural landscape and history. But yeah, I, I like the fact that people have, have sort of become more interested in masks as a whole. And I think in Western society, certainly not in other parts of the world, but in Western society, masks can be quite unnerving, you know, because they hide your face and you're not sure who the person is and it takes away an element of communication. But I think because people are having to wear them now, we're, it's really changing the way we communicate, the way we engage with one another. And it's really making us more ingenious in terms of that communication and making us open up to each other. So I think in many ways, there are some quite nice, um, interesting, you know, positive things that are going to come out of having to wear masks and having to cover up in this way. And I, I think that's really interesting. Actually, what I've been thinking when when I uh, was thinking about this and t- thinking about talking to you, I, I was thinking also about masks and communication. And masks are very paradoxical in a sense. And I think this is what you allude to is you know, on the one hand, they they cut off the, if you like, the cues that we normally use to read people's emotions but at the same time, they themselves, the masks themselves, are a kind of medium of communication. Mm, absolutely. And especially considering their theatrical history where, you know, in ancient Greece and Rome, a mask was there purely to show what emotion the person was feeling, you know, from a distance. So we've got this very, as you say, paradoxical kind of layered history. Um, and I think that's why they continue to fascinate people and and, and scare people. It's why masks turn up in, in horror films, you know, quite often. It, it, it is that kind of distance. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they're, they're hugely paradoxical in nature. And I, I'd be very interested to see as we go through this pandemic, um, what other designs come out because I don't know you've probably seen some of the crazy ones that you can get like Darth Vader people have made Hannibal Lecter versions you know there's all kinds of things that are actually very sinister that people are embracing and I think that's that's really interesting too. Mm. Well look this is a great place to stop and uh, I want to thank you very much for being on Communication Mixed Down Lydia and uh, all the best with your work as well and keep up the good work. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. You were listening there to Lydia Edwards. She's a fashion historian at Edith Cowan University, and she was talking about some trends in mask wearing over the centuries. That's all from Communication Mixdown this week. The program will be posted as a podcast on the show's website, along with a link to Lydia's article on the history of masks published in the conversation. We're back again next week at six. Let's go out with a song, appropriately enough, all about masks. Calling all cars, calling all cars.
Man trying to enter an office building on 4th and Main with no mask. Repeat, no mask. I walked into my job late last week when my co-workers all began to freak. They started cursing and began to shout and said quite rudely as the boss threw me out. You need a mask. I need a COVID mask. A COVID mask. It seemed a lot to ask. To wear a mask. To do a simple task. Put on a mask. I need a COVID mask. Made it mandatory almost every place. That we can't be seen unless we hide our face. I can't even leave my humble abode without something covering my mouth and nose. We need a mask. We need a COVID mask. A COVID mask. It seems a lot to ask. To wear a mask. Can't even mow my grass. Without a mask. Without a COVID mask. This mask wearing isn't fun. And the snitching has now begun. My neighbor called the hotline because my dog wasn't wearing one. Walking through the mall, a woman's voice did ring. Seemed she was troubled by just one thing. She pointed to the door, shook her fist, and said, What are you trying to do, you jerk? Make everybody sick? Forgot his mask. Forgot my COVID mask. COVID mask. Nobody gets a pass. That stupid mask. Can't even pump my gas. Without a mask. Without a COVID mask. I'm home. What do you want? I need to come in and get my mask. Don't let Daddy in the house, Mommy. He's been wearing his mask. No mask, no entry. Sorry. But, honey. You should have taken it with you. You're not getting in this house. I changed the locks. Hey, all you mob. It's Dr. Mark Winnetong here. Coronavirus has certainly changed the way we live, work, and connect. These changes can be hard for some of us and can make us feel no good in our head or spirit, like sad or worried all the time. Some of us might already be dealing with other things like sickness, trauma, and this can make it really hard for us to feel good about anything at the moment. If you're feeling like this, remember, it's okay to ask for help. Have a yarn to someone you trust, like your family or an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health worker. You can also call Beyond Blue, Lifeline or the Kids Helpline to talk to someone or look at some helpful information at headtohealth.gov.au on the internet. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Each day is more like a creepy dream from a movie scene. All day at home with my family, can't see anyone. Put on pants, get a mail, turn around. Maybe go on a run See a friend Dive away on the ground I never shower in quarantine It's bad hygiene And now I've taken up gardening Who have I become? Put on pants Get the mail Turn around People getting restless and now just on the news They've cancelled all the rest of school And we've run out of puzzles And new shows to stream But we got nothing left to do But we gotta make it through Hey 
I'm feeling so alone. I'm like a dog without a bone. 